as we stand. Oh, Father, pray that you would uh, come to us and feed us from your word now, how desperately we need you. Um, we need you to come uh, to our hearts and comfort us. And uh, we pray, uh, come to us by your spirit, uh, give us ears to hear and hearts that listen. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Do uh, grab a seat. Wow. This uh, is my last uh, sermon series uh, here at Christchurch. Uh, and John just generously um, said I can preach whatever I like. And so I've chosen to preach on, still part of the Bible, um, part of, uh, proposed to preach on Isaiah 40 over uh, the next three uh, Sundays. So if you've got a Bible in your hands, do uh, turn up uh, page 599. I told someone uh, this week that I was preaching Isaiah 40. They thought I said anxiety for over 40s. That is not a subject I'm qualified to preach on, let me be clear. Um, rather, I'm preaching on Isaiah 40. Let me just offer a few words of introduction before we read uh, the passage. Um, Isaiah was a prophet. Um, he, he lived before Jesus' time. He, he ministered to um, the Old Testament people in Israel. Um, and he wrote Isaiah 40 uh, to the Israelites, God's people, when they were in exile, uh, when they were in Babylon, and when they'd been carted off out of God's paradise land uh, uh, to a, a hostile nation uh, and cast off for their own sin, uh, for their own uh, rebellion, for the ways they had turned from the Lord their God and worshipped other gods. And this, Isaiah 40, and actually onwards through to the end of Isaiah, is God's message to them. They had grievously rebelled against him, and this is God's message to them. And it's also God's message to us. As we read uh, through this passage, I hope what you'll find is that the, the, that the words it has and the promises it contains um, far outstrip anything Israel ever received. In fact, uh, they can only find their, their fullness and their truth in the Lord Jesus Christ. We read the um, Heidelberg Catechism question one, what is your only comfort in life and in death? It is that I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this passage, I hope for you this morning, will bring that home to you and to your hearts. Let me read it uh, for us. I'll be reading from verses 1 uh, through to verse 11. Comfort. Comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low and the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places are plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says cry and I said what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field, the grass withers. The flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. 
Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain on Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice of strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with the young. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may not have guessed it, um, but as a student um, a few years ago now, um, I studied uh, biology. Um, it's not my, not my passion. I quite enjoyed it. Um, but in the second year of my second term, uh, we had a big build-up to, to a special day, a field day, and a fun day of our year. Usually we sat in lectures and wrote essays. And this, this is going to be the exciting day. I um, got up early, six in the morning, and got, out, got, got on a coach. I drove about three hours into the Peak uh, District, and it was um, one of the most boring days in my life. Basically, all we did was at a, at a quadrat, which is basically just a square, you place it on the ground, uh, you look in the square and you count um, different species of plants and how many there are uh, in that square. And then we took some water and took it home to the lab and basically counted the number of microbes under a much smaller square uh, in that water. Now, why am I uh, telling you that? Why, why am I uh, telling you about my very boring day in, in, biology, in my biology degree? Well, it promised big. Everyone said it's going to be the best day of the year, but it failed to deliver. It promised big, but it failed to deliver. And doesn't that sometimes just feel like our Christian life? On one hand, as Christians, we know God's promises are unbelievable. A peace of conscience over our sin. A joy and satisfaction in him that we just can't find anywhere else in the world. That's what we preach to people, isn't it? In our evangelism, come, come find a joy unmeasured. Now, the knowledge that he'll, he'll change us, that the sin in our life should become less and less and holiness more and more. And of course, uh, the promise of eternal paradise that before us, as we die, we go to a better place, a home, a heaven uh, with him. And yet, and yet we, we look around ourselves, if we're honest, from time to time, sometimes it does feel like that, but from time to time, God just doesn't feel that close. The joy that he promises me proves elusive. And more than that, I'm very conscious of my sin. I'm very aware of how sinful I am. And he promises paradise, but my heart doubts. just doesn't seem that realistic. And in that sense, we're not so different from the Israelites in exile. Um, James, uh, the brother of Jesus and Peter, one of Jesus' apostles, disciples, and describes us as exiles uh, in their letters uh, to the early church. Because like us, the Israelites, uh, for whom Isaiah 40 was written uh, initially, um, they were not on God's promised uh, paradise either. They were in Babylon. Uh, Therefore, they were in a hostile land. And they were surrounded by 
uh, God's enemies. And really, that's not so very different from us now. We're surrounded by, by a world that, that mocks the Christian faith, or, or worse, abuses us for believing in God. And we struggle with the same doubts that the Israelites have struggled with here. The same fears, the same anxieties. It's got really for us. He's made big promises to us. But where are they? It seems like sometimes they fail to deliver, doesn't it? And the hostile world around us whispers, it's because, it's because God doesn't really care. He doesn't really care. You think God cares about you? Just look at the state of your life. Look at the state of the world around us. What about the war in Ukraine? Does God care about this world? If he even exists, he's obviously unconcerned. And paradise? Well, that's a fantasy. That's an illusion. And our hearts echo that sometimes. Our hearts whisper to us, well, maybe it's because of my sin. That, that thing I said, that, that picture I looked at, that thing I did, that, that person in that room all those years ago, the way I treated my family, and our hearts whisper to us, you feel abandoned by God because you are abandoned. You should feel guilty about your sin. You've blown it. And this is God's word to us in that place, God's message to us, and it, and it cuts through our fears and our doubts and our anxieties and brings us peace. It's a bit like if we're standing in a, in a dark and dreary room, if that's you this morning, we're standing there and we pull back the curtains and suddenly the room is full of sunlight and we blink in the sunlight and, it, and we're startled at first, but it, but it begins to warm our face and our day becomes better. This is what God says to us. Three things that he says about himself. What he wants what he has done and what he is doing. What he wants, what he's done and what he's doing. And let me just speak to you as well. If you're, if you're not a Christian here this morning, you're really welcome. Um, it's brilliant to have you. Um, I want to say first, this is a message to God's people. I want you to listen to it as one, as, 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 as given to God's, um, God's people. So you're listening in from the outside. Uh, but I want you to think, what if, what if that could be me? What if their God could be my God? And I want you to lay aside whatever impressions you've come in here this morning with about who God is. The world says all sorts of things about God, some things I've already mentioned. Right, lay them aside and hear what God has to say for himself. So firstly, verses one and two, what God wants. What God wants to comfort us, to comfort us. First and foremost, the words that fall from his lips are, are comfort. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Console them. Make them glad, dispel their doubts. It's not, a, it's not a sticky plaster comfort either. A sticky plaster comfort is one that, that, that covers the problem, uh, but never deals with it. Verse 2 says, speak tenderly. Literally, literally translated, just, just speak to the heart. Like a man uh, wooing his wife. Uh, her, her, her words, his words hit her. They hit her here. They sink into her. She, she feels them. That's the comfort God has for us this morning. God aims at the heart. Because the heart is where we need comforting. Okay? It's no secret to any of us this morning that the human race is a, is a troubled race. And we're troubled globally, aren't we? You look around the world. The world has never been at peace. Throughout this history of the human race, has never been at peace. 
we're troubled relationally in our own little spheres with our families and with our friends. But most of all, and where those two things stem from as well, we're troubled in here, in our hearts. Who can say among us this morning, I am, I am at peace. Can you say that? There's no trouble here and here in me. And we know that. And our world around us offers all sorts of solutions. One student was um, telling me a couple of weeks ago about, about the self-help movement. Feel depressed? Take a bath. Feel anxious? Go, go for a nice walk. Feel suicidal? Have a nice meal and concentrate on the flavours. Or else the world says you shouldn't feel troubled about yourself at all. In fact, if you do have flaws, you should be okay with your flaws. Your lyrics from that song, Human, um, by Rag and Bone Man. I'm only human after all. Don't put the blame on me. Those are, those are, friends, those are sticky plasters, aren't they? they? They cover the problem, but they don't deal with it. It still remains. And whether we like to admit it or not, the trouble in our hearts is our sin. Verse 2 is all about our sin, her warfare, her iniquity, speaking about the church and all her sins, that final verse. The trouble in our hearts is, is due to our sin. What is our sin? Well, it's the way our hearts neglect God and turn inwards. And verse 2 describes that as, as warfare. We are at war with God. Every human being on this planet is at war with God. And you say, I'm not at war with God, not me. Oh, yes, you are. Whenever you stubbornly resist him and follow your own selfish ends, you are at war with him. And that, that war with him plunges us into all sorts of trouble. It plunges us, first of all, just into, into darkness and emptiness as, as we're disconnected from the one we're, we're made by and made to serve and made to love. But it also selfishly turns us inwards. And from that, we reap a harvest of pain and, and suffering and broken relationships. The, the broken world we live in out there is a result of our sin. In that sense, we're really not so different from Israel at all. They're in exile for the rebellion against God. And actually, we live in a world exiled for rebellion against God. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, when they sinned against God, were exiled from his presence. That's true for us too. We, we suffer for our sin. We suffer for the sin done against us by others. Just ask the Ukrainians. And we live in a broken world under the judgment of God. And into that, into that, God says, comfort. Comfort my people. And cry to her. Her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Do you know that, that terrible feeling you sometimes get? And when you realise you've made a mistake, and you suddenly realise what you've done, the, the mistake you made. And so you wake up one morning if you're a student and you realise you've missed the essay deadline. Or you arrive at a wedding and you, and you, you drive up and you're wearing your driving shoes because you've been driving and you go to your boot and open the boot and look inside the boot uh, for, your, for your posh shoes, for your wedding shoes, and they're not there, they're still at home. You know that feeling? Children, if, if, if your parents have told you to do something, and you just go away and forget, and then suddenly you remember that that was what you meant to do, but it's too late now. Do you know that feeling, that, that terrible feeling where your heart stinks and your, and your stomach falls? And the biggest 
part of that is it's your fault. It's your fault, the fail grade or the foolish look. It is your fault. But also, do you know the relief when someone steps in? When, when your professor says, oh, it's okay, don't worry, I'll extend the deadline. Or your friend says, it's okay, I've got a second pair of shoes, you can, you can wear those. Or your parent says, children, it's okay, I forgive you. Let's try again, shall we? Something like that is going on here. We mistreat God, and we know that. Our hearts are twisted. We make bad choices. We desire stuff that damages us, and we certainly don't love God as we should. We don't love our neighbours as we should. Our troubled lives, our troubled hearts are our fault. But God steps in, and he says, I've paid for it all. Your warfare has ended. You're reconciled to me, to fellowship with me. I've more than paid for it. It's doubly paid abundantly played. All I have for you now is blessing. You caused it, but I have paid for it. It's your fault, but I have fixed it. Are you aware of your sin this morning? Are you someone, Christian or not a Christian, with a troubled heart? Does the mess in your life weigh you down? Is it always on your mind? Do your failures rise up before you and condemn you? This is what your God says to you. If you come to him, I've dealt with it. It doesn't stand between us. It doesn't divide us anymore. We can, we can enjoy one another again. Let your heart be comforted. You may say, oh, that's all very well. It's all to say that, but how do I know and God says, look what I've done. Look what I've done. I don't feel comforted. God says, look what I've done. Verses 3 uh, verses, verses to 8. What God has done, he has come to us. What he has done, he has come to us. A voice cries, I listen to this. Listen to what I have to say. It's an ambiguous voice. At this point, we don't know who, who it is. What does he say? He says, prepare the way. Prepare the way. In um, Israelite time, when, uh, when a nation wanted to move their idols, uh, the idols of the God they served, um, they'd, they'd prepare the way for it. Uh, they'd make a road for it to go on. Uh, you get that kind of language here. This is, this is in verses three and four. This is, this is highway building language, isn't it? You can see that. Prepare the way, make a highway, make it straight, so not swerving this way and that. Um, and every valley shall be lifted up, i.e. Lift, lift the low places up and crush the, the high places down so it's flat. And then smooth it out. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places are plain. This is highway building. But it's highway building on a cosmic scale involving valleys and mountains. Because it's not, it's not lifeless idols that are coming along the road. Idols are fake gods, but the Lord himself. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make a desert and the highway for our God, the, the creator, the king of glory. You see in verse 5, he is coming. And the imagery is telling us it is certain. No difficulty can stop us, stop him. When we come to the Gospels, um, we find this to, to be the Lord Jesus. John the Baptist actually identifies himself as the voice here in three of the four Gospels. Uh, he says, I am the voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. And he's preparing the way for the Lord, for the Lord Jesus. Jesus come to earth. God among us. 
And how is it that that fact has become so unremarkable to us? How is it that so many people know it and it doesn't strike them? How is it that so many people in the world out there will know the Christian claim that Jesus is God? They just don't really, don't really care. Because it is remarkable. First, think of all the obstacles that, that stood in the way of God coming to earth. You've got, you've got the, like the kind of infinite physical distance between us and God. He's not even of the same kind of reality as us. We're created. He, he's not. He's a spirit, and we are made of matter. Think of, think of the moral distance. We are a race living in judgment, under God's judgment, full of sin. He is holy and pure. How can he come among us? Think of, think of his, his nature. He doesn't dwell in one place. He doesn't even dwell in time. He made those things. He's everywhere, fully present all the time. And yet here is Jesus. We find in the Gospels, here is, here is, here is, here is a, a, someone who is really human and yet fully God. God come to us. A, a man in whom all, you see in verse 5, all of God's glory is revealed. A man who came walking among us, commanding the waves, raising the dead, producing food out of thin air. A man who knew what was going on in places he wasn't, and what was going on in the hearts and minds of people around him. When we speak of Jesus, we speak of, of God walking among us. But that's not the most remarkable thing about it. The most remarkable thing is why he came. He came for us. He came to us. He says, I didn't come to be served, to, to rule you, but to serve. Sorry, to crush you. I came to seek and to save the lost. You see, in verse 1 and 2, God is telling someone, you go and comfort my people, he says, to, to a third party. And that person, ultimately, is the Lord Jesus. He says to us, look, I've come. I've come to, to pay for your sin, to end your warfare, to reconcile you into fellowship with me. And I did that all on the cross. That is ultimately where, where the, the glory of God in, in Christ is most manifest, where, he, where, where the love of God is poured out on, on a sinful people, and yet God's justice is utterly satisfied. Can you get your head around it? That God came into this world in the fullness of his being, in the person of the Lord Jesus. And here's the shock. For you. But for me, yes. For you. But I'm so insignificant. I'm so full of shame of my sin. I'm not worth it. And yet he came for you to die for you. See, his deepest desire, can you doubt it when you see Christ? His deepest desire is to bring you comfort scarcely believable uh, as we're saying it would be scarcely believable for, for the Israelites as well when they're in exile is it true, can it be true that God himself is coming and even though we live this side of it Christ has come God has come it's still scarcely believable I think that's why Isaiah goes on to verses 6 and 8 6 through to 8 a second voice 
speaks to us. What does it say? What it says, all flesh is like grass. All its beauty is like the flower of the field. It's easy to, to read that and think that what it's talking about is basically kind of old age. We're just kind of mortal, temporary beings here for a short time and gone. And that's certainly true. But, but I think as well, I wonder if it's, it's, it's digging a bit deeper than that. So, so verse six, 6 says, all its beauty, all mankind's beauty is like the flower of the field. So that, that, be, that word beauty is the word in, in Hebrew, is the word hesed. The reason why that's important is, is that's how God describes himself, describes his, his, his own love. So you might be familiar with God saying, my love is steadfast. I have steadfast love. That, that's just hesed, love. And what's the verse saying? Well, it says our hesed, our ability to love God is like the flower of the field. When the Lord breathes on it, when, when trials come, when difficulties come, it disappears. And we know that, don't we? When it comes to our, our faith, we, we know that. We know how, how weak and love we can be for the Lord our God. We, we know how fickle our commitment to the Lord God can be. We, we know that sometimes we look good. We might look good this morning, worshipping and singing. But in our darkest moments, we look awful. What's the point of telling us that? Well, it's to draw our eyes away from ourselves, to look at God. Verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. But the promises he has in our scripture this morning rely on him and not on me. They're on his shoulders, not on mine. Hudson Taylor was a missionary in China, almost, well, actually over a century ago, founded something called the China Inland Mission, from which tens of thousands of people have been saved. It says, often scripture calls us to have faith in God, have faith in God, believe in God. And what sometimes happens when we do, when we read that, is we start focusing on ourselves. So we kind of look inwards, look down. What's my faith like? Is it strong? Do I really believe in God? But Hudson says, no, it's calling us to look up and out. It should be, we should, we should read it as, have faith in God. We should read it as, trust in the faithfulness of God, i.e. when you doubt, when you struggle, look at him, focus on him and let your faith be drawn out by filling your eyes with him. It's scarcely believable, but our trust is in ourselves and the Lord and what he has said and that his word will stand firm. And that changes everything for us now. And we live in a broken world, don't we? But a world in which God desires to comfort us a world in which god has come to us and then thirdly and finally verses 8 to 11 what god is doing what god is doing and that is caring for us he's dealt with our sin and he's poured out his comfort and now and forever he says i will be your shepherd a third voice i uh, speaks a voice has commanded to go up high on a mountain, verse 9. A voice has commanded to, to speak loudly, to cry out without fear. It's actually, you see, it's actually Jerusalem and Zion to do the speaking. The church is to be telling ourselves this truth and crying out to the world. Good news, the voice says. Good news. I have good news. What is the good news? Behold your God, Christian. 
Look at your God. That's what it's telling you to do. Look at your God. He's come with might in the person of the Lord Jesus. Come with strength, strong arms, arms of rule. Come with blessing. His reward and his recompense are with him. Come to, comes, to, comes to pour his blessing out upon you. Look at your God. In other words, look at, look at Christ. Because our temptation is, our temptation is when we've come to Christ and received his forgiveness is to begin to look at ourselves again, to turn inwards. But the verse is commanding, no, look at your God. Look at his strength and his power. It's not to dominate you. It's not to enslave you. It's not to crush you. But it's to care for you. Verse 11, he's become our shepherd. I can't help but think when Jesus was preaching and when he said to the people around him, I am the good shepherd, John chapter 10, that in his mind he was meditating on this verse, verse 11. You see, you see, you see he has come, he has dealt with, with, our, with my sin and now I belong to him. The Heidelberg Catechism question one. I belong body and soul to my saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my shepherd. I used, I used to belong to myself. And my heart was full of trouble and disaster and damage, but now I belong to him. I am one of his sheep. I am part of his flock. He, he cares for me. Pastor said, said, he, says he, he tends to me. A uh, shepherd, you know, shepherd pastures his sheep. He, he makes sure they're, they're fed, they have enough food. He, he, he gives them water. He makes sure that they're, they're drinking enough. He gives them a safe place to sleep and, and, he, and he protects them when danger comes. He, he puts himself on the line for them. He tends to ask, you can say, whether you feel it or not, you say to yourself, I have everything I need because my eyes, because the eyes of my saviour are upon me and he has given his life for me and I know that. He gathers the lambs in his arms, he'll carry them in his bosom. He'll carry them close to him. Notice it's his arms, his strong, ruling arms. Gathers the lambs. Are you a, a young Christian this morning? And you're just taking your first steps in the world away from the security of your Christian home? Are you a, are you a new Christian? Or feel like you're a new Christian? And actually just lots of things in the Christian faith confuse you. You find lots of things difficult to understand. Are you a weak Christian? Fearful that your faith will fail. Well, his strong arms are around you. Do you, do you think that after he's demonstrated what the love that he has for you, the commitment that he has for you, that he will forsake you because, because you're a sinner? Because you're weak in love? Because you don't understand Things will never, can never be. His arms are around you. He never relied on you in the first place. He, he came to you. You didn't climb up to heaven and find him. He, he came seeking you when you were in a, in a distant country, far off and lost. He sought you out. And do you think that now as your shepherd, as now that you're, you're part of his, his flock, do you think that he will forsake you and leave you because of your sin? Never. And he gently leads those that are with young, the pregnant use. If you're a guy this morning, that, that might not immediately strike you. That's a particularly strong picture. But I suspect if, you, if you're a woman, particularly if you've had children, 
And this will sink a lot more deeply into your heart. I'm, a, I'm obviously a man, so um, bear with me. But I can, I can well believe that for a human being, um, there are no times, or very few times, where you're so filled with concern or heartaches or anxieties when you were, than when you are expecting a child. What's it saying to us? So it's saying that in all your anxieties in this life, in all your struggles, he is leading you. No matter how hard life becomes, he is leading you. Do you know verse, in amazing grace, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. There's grace, there's grace that will lead, that's brought me safe as far, and grace will lead me home. That's what it means for him to be our shepherd, isn't it? Regardless of how rubbish my life is, how, how much I feel, how terrible I feel about myself, he is leading me home. But even when I meet death, the valley of darkness, even when I go through that, he is with me and he leads me and he takes me home. And one day my suffering, my struggles will be over. This is a passage to comfort our hearts. If you're not a Christian this morning, can I ask you, look at our God. Not your God yet, but he can be. Look at our God. It's not impossible for you to come to him. That's what he wants. He wants to comfort you as well. There's space in his flock. He has more room for you. And so will you come to him and put your faith in him? We're going to stand in a moment and sing that wonderful psalm which speaks of these truths to us, Psalm 23. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd. But let me pray for us and before we do that. Father, we live in a world uh, full of sin and suffering and our hearts are often troubled and without peace. We praise you for your grace that while we were full of sin and far off, you came to us. And you came to us not to crush us, not to enslave us, not to make us feel guilty, not to punish us, but to comfort us, to bring us uh, to where you are, to engage us uh, with your uh, fellowship because you love us. I pray when, when we meet the struggles in our lives, when we struggle this week, uh, fill our hearts with what you have said to us and bring us comfort. In his name we pray. Amen.